Well, welcome everybody. It's Tuesday night. It's seven o'clock and we are here for Outside the Box with Dr. Roy Bright. And we have an amazing show scheduled for you tonight. We have the wonderful, the uh, marvelous, the beautiful, the talented, the every word you want to use to describe this incredible woman of God. Uh, Miss Minister Susan McQueen. Everybody, we have Minister Susan McQueen who's going to share with us tonight in our conversation. So let's jump right on in. Actually, before we get started, I want to mention, you see this shirt I have on? This is one of the products, one of the shirts that uh, is available um, at IamRoyBright.com. Go to the store. This one says uniquely loved by God. We have about six or seven uh, different shirts and hoodies and masks and all of those things. These, uh, the words here are words that God gave me to inspire me uh, to get positivity out in the world. So please go check out everything that we have to offer. But now on to what we're here for. Today's conversation, today's conversation is about surviving loss. We've been doing a series of surviving. We talked about surviving infidelity. We've talked about surviving divorce. And today we're going to be talking about surviving loss. And you're going to have the opportunity to uh, engage with us and hear um, uh, loss uh, that I think no parent ever in the history of parenting ever wants to have to deal with. But the truth is, it's a reality for so many people. And I believe that uh, Minister Susan's um, ability to kind of talk about her experience, what she's gone through, and the steps she's taken to, um, to survive. You know, that's the word, to actually survive. Um, and uh, before we get into um, kind of the conversation as a whole, it just made me think of, I remember um, this was late last year, nobody knows this, and I'm not, and I'm not sharing this um, uh, for any reason, but somebody played a practical joke on uh, my wife and I, and they had my daughter's phone. And they called and was like, we've been in an accident and uh, 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 we need y'all to come and, 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 and get us. Uh, Haley's not talking and this, that, and the other. And the level of panic, fear that uh, encapsulated uh, me and my wife was almost unbearable. And it, 
I literally had to take Tony, nobody knows this, but I literally had to take Tony to the hospital um, because she couldn't breathe. She couldn't stop shaking. And it was thankfully not true, but the reality of the thought of that was so overwhelming that I can't imagine the reality of it. And yet, Susan, you're here and you've actually gone through loss. So if you don't mind, as much as you feel comfortable with, share with us the general overview of the loss that you've experienced. Well, first, before I get into that, I'd like to thank you, Dr. Bright, for having me. And um, I do have a word to say about this. Um, it's really, um, I guess, uncanny that you asked me because um, on February the 7th, um, my son would have been gone for 14 years. And, um, you know, I had, uh, we were all working on our final degrees, my husband, my, uh, myself and my daughter. We would all have graduated in 07. Brunel was killed um, February 7th in 07. And uh, we were planning to have this wonderful graduation. Everyone was excited. And uh, I had only been in the country. I had been in Africa and I had only been in the country like for a couple of days. And I kept putting it off, putting it off, saying that oh, I'll see him later. I see him later. We take so many things for granted. And I was tired, jet lag, and just said, I'll, I'll get the gifts to him and his significant other later. And uh, that Thursday night, on the 7th of February, my son called and he wanted to talk to me. He said, Mom, I really need to talk to you. And uh, I said, OK, OK. So I finally uh, uh, let him express himself. And he said to me, he said, Mom, I know I have gone against what you and dad have taught me. Basically, is what he was saying. I'm paraphrasing. Sure. But he said, I want you to know this. Mom, I love you. And uh, he was asking me to take his girlfriend's children to take care of them, like I had been doing in the past. That's how he met her and ended up back in Austin. But uh, anyway, I, I told him, I said, son, I love you. I'll do anything you ask me to do, and you know it. And he said, I said, well, what about your grandmother? Because she would be the main caregiver and not myself. He said, oh, mom, don't worry about granny. You know, she'll do anything I ask. And at that moment, the phone rang. He said, hold on, mom, hold on, mom. It's Jamie, she's calling me. I said, don't, don't switch over, don't, 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 don't. And the phone went dead. And I kept calling that number back, calling his number back over and over again, but I felt something leave my body. Yeah. I realized at that moment, something was wrong. And that happened to be, I, I got on the phone talking to him at, uh, 9.45, the time had gone by so quickly, I was still on my knees, redialing that number, praying, asking God, please help me, Lord. Please don't, don't, please don't let him, let something happen to him, please, Lord. But I knew in my heart of hearts, something had happened. 
And my husband came into the room. He said, what are you doing on your knees? I said, I'm praying and I'm, I'm, I'm redialing Brunel. He won't answer his phone again. He said, oh, girl, get in the bed. And it was midnight. I had been on my phone, on my wow. knees from 9.45 until midnight. Wow. And uh, I went ahead and got in the bed and I looked at him. I said, something is really wrong. He said, girl, go to sleep. It's going to be all right. Well, at 5 a.m. in the morning, the doorbell rang. I just put on my robe. Mm. I already knew. Went downstairs and there was his girlfriend with the children. They were all screaming. And I said, be quiet. And she said, but they won't tell me what's wrong, Miss Susan. They won't tell me what's wrong. I said, Brunel is dead. And she said, no. And she began to scream. And my husband heard me say, Brunel is dead. So of course the chaplain, the police and the fire department, they were all at that moment coming on in the house. And um, I knew that the Lord had given us peace to hear these last words with one another. He heard me say, I love you. And I heard him tell me, mom, I love you. The parting words, the last words that we speak to anyone is so important. Wow. And from that moment to this, I know because he told me, mom, I love you. It makes it a little bit easier, just a little bit easier. But I take one day at a time, one moment at a time. And I ask God to give me strength to move forward. But in short, that's basically what, that's what happened. Two cars hit him. God blessed us with a woman who used to attend Mount Sinai. She moved to Houston. And we didn't, we didn't know whose coat someone had laid on my child, but God sent her to hold him as he took his last breath. So I was so grateful that someone was there to comfort him. Wow. How do you, Susan, how do you, pro, how do you process that? Like, I, I guess what I'm asking is, how are, how are you not mad at God? Mm -hmm. uh, that's a real good question. Um, I can't tell you that I haven't had my moments of anger with God. And, and I say that because he was such a great child. He didn't give us any problems, uh, just obedient. And he never met a stranger. To know him, if you would have known him, he would, always had a wonderful smile on his face. And he just never met strangers, just a great, just a great young man. And um, to say that I haven't been angry with God, I can't tell you that. In fact, I, uh, it took me, uh, after I had finished my, my degree plan, I stopped praying. Hmm. I didn't want to pray. I didn't want to preach. I didn't want to teach. I just wanted to be left alone. And um, it took me, uh, 
I guess a few months of not talking to God to realize I can't do without him. Wow. I was losing my mind. And uh, just have you been, being around someone that I was just angry. I displayed anger. Sure. Even though I was in the church, going to church, uh, I just look at people like they were crazy. And being the pastor's wife, you know, that was not a good thing. Sure. But uh, uh, people would encourage me, you really need to go to counseling. And um, of course, coming from my background, African-American, you know, we don't believe in going to counselors. Whatever you do, you can handle it. Pray about it. You'll get over it. Well, no, I needed help for someone to guide me back to a place of peace and accepting of what God had done. So to, to tell you that I didn't get angry at God, no. I can't tell you that. I can't tell you now that there was those. I have those moments to say, God, you let this type of person live, and yet you took my son. My son served you with everything that he had, and why did you take him? I can't tell you. I don't have those moments of uh, of distance of of me and God. I do. But I'm thankful that after 14 years, he sent me through enough <laughs> in my own personal uh, body to say, I can't do without him. If I, if, if I walk away from God or when I stop talking to God, I lose the understanding of what's going on in my life today. Sure. So my son is at peace and resting. We're still here. And he gave us a job to do. And I had better find myself glorifying him. And that's what I do daily. Give him praise. And when I have those moments that I don't want to move, I say, Lord, give me strength. And he does. So are there are there things that you still can't? think about or talk about or um, any of those things or have you kind of over time, I guess, dealt with some of those things? And let me give you some context. Um, and I don't know why I'm doing this show because this is potentially very, very emotional for me. But um, like, um, I'll share this because this is many people wouldn't know this, but I remember growing up, I was raised by my grandmother. Um, and what many people wouldn't uh, don't know is that as a young guy in my 20s, uh, I'm probably starting around uh, right after I graduated from high school, 17, um, I couldn't imagine. Um, life without my grandmother. Mm -hmm. And I remember praying and and I I would pray every day, Lord, take me before you take her, because I don't think I could survive you taking her. And um and I would pray that all the time. And I realized I, as I got older, I realized 
how crazy that was, but I just didn't believe that I had it within me to bear that kind of loss. And the reason I, I, I start with the story so you can understand is that there is one particular picture of her that I can't look at without almost falling apart, even today. And um, she died in 2012. And there are um, there's there are pictures of her that I still can't look at. And I don't think I've been back to her grave since mm -hmm. that time. Uh, I want to go, but I'm kind of scared to go. And so I guess that's the basis of where my question comes from. Um, is it, it, are there things like this picture of her that I can't look at without completely falling apart? Do you have any of those kind of experiences? <laughs> or have you had those experiences? Definitely. Um, especially um, right after he was killed. And um, I was probably halfway through with uh, finishing my thesis. And um, I had taken down the pictures of him by himself. And, um, but our family portrait was uh, right in the door as you came in, there was a wall that I would see us as a family. So I had not at that initial time, it still felt like he was still here because his main, main he had only lived in back in Austin for about three months. And uh, for a month and a half of that time that he was here, I wasn't, here you in Austin. I was in Africa. So um it it just seemed like he was still away in school. Let me put it like that. So mm -hmm. I would look at our family portrait and that's where um as a family that's where we took him to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So it felt like that he was still here until you don't get the phone call or you realize that I, I've forgotten what his voice sounded like. So then all of a sudden that picture that we had of him was hurtful. Sure. And I have it here now. <coughs> you know how you have a picture of you. Can y'all see that? Can you see that? Yes. Yes. And so for me, this picture was on the banister as you came in and there was a, a banister between the former living and the diner dining room where we lived and that picture of him sat there so when i realized i had to look to my right and i saw it i said but he's not here anymore i can't talk to him that's when it hit me to try to remove the pictures he didn't live too far from our home. He lived in this apartment complex. So I would always have to drive by his apartment complex, wow. which angered me. And it wow. made me feel distant. That's when um, the reality set in and the pictures 
I could no longer look at that was still there. And um, I guess at that moment, which probably took me about four or five months to realize he was not here anymore, that I wouldn't get a phone call. So then at that moment, I began to rearrange the house, taking down the pictures where he was inserted. And even with doing that, it didn't help the pain. Sure, sure. And um, I guess I, less than a year, and it was less than a year, I put the pictures back up and tried to begin on my own, not with counseling, and tried to start a process of accepting his death. Wow. And you know, how we'll say physician, how the Lord tells physician, heal thyself. Mm-hmm. And I thought uh, I had enough training in chaplaincy uh, with the grief uh, ministry that I could do it. Well, of course, uh, I hit that brick wall. And when the wall came crashing in on me, uh, by that time, I had torn up the people around me. And uh, that's what hurt does. It really hurts those that you are close to and that you talk to on a daily basis that the wall came crashing down. So the removal of the pictures didn't help. The pretending that he was still around didn't help. Um, Even me calling his phone, when I would call his cell phone, his voice was still there. And um, I don't know, one day that was erased. So when the phone, his voice was no longer there, I couldn't hear his voice. I knew then I had to face it, that he was gone and that he was not coming back. Wow. And uh, and that was probably, I'm sure it was definitely over two years, over two years that I was pretending he was still alive. That's heavy. <laughs> <laughs> That that's heavy. Uh, a question has come in: um, How has, if at all, your loss affected your relationship with your husband and your daughter? Oh my! Because uh, everybody grieves at different rates and at different yeah. Exactly. Oh, that's an excellent question. Um, it. With my husband, we fought all the time. When he walked in the room, um, it was I, I would just just get angry because I felt like at that time he should have been able to, if he just would have been a better father. We began to point the finger. Sure. And just thinking that somehow, if if he just would have been there. He would have been able to, to stop the downward spiral that my son was on a roller coaster. If he just could have talked to him man to man, 
uh, about what it meant to be with a woman and what it meant to be married and going through all of those things that was around us that I felt that my husband could have done something about. So um, it was so bad. Um, it was probably about four years later. One, one morning, I got up and I had the Bible in my left hand and a gun in my right. My God. My husband turned over that Sunday morning looking down the barrel of a gun. Wow. But by God's grace, that gun did not go off. That's how depressed I was. I was very ill and didn't know it. Of course, uh, he left the house naturally. And um, after four years of hurting, did I begin the process of getting help, understanding that I had not moved to a level of, of accepting God's will and blaming even myself and blaming my husband for the actions of an adult man. My son was 23 and uh, he knew exactly how we raised him. Sure. And he knew as my husband led him to say, son, you're not living a godly life anymore. You need to really focus on what God created you to be and, um, and how uh, he did encourage my son to do the right thing. So I had to look at my son's, while well, I was led by a counselor at that time. I think um, I had been in counseling probably about two months before he came back home. And uh, we went to counseling together. Sure. I went first alone. And then we began a process of going to counseling together. And um, when I was able to actually walk through the process that God was taking my son through and his walk with Christ and uh, me understanding that that was personal between he and God. And I was grateful that my cousin Sheila, they all belong to the same church. Uh, I forgot the name of the church, but anyway, it doesn't matter. That they typically had uh, on Wednesday nights, they had the Lord's Supper. Sheila had noticed that my son wouldn't take the Lord's Supper. But the night before he was killed, my son had made peace with God and he took the Lord's Supper. Wow. And he also, 
made peace with me before he left this earth. So I can say without a doubt that I'll see him again because he asked for forgiveness. And he knew that he needed to go back to his place of blessing, which was in Tulsa. He had a great reputation, so much so that there were many who came from Oklahoma to celebrate Brunel's homegoing. Even right. to this day, his picture still hangs in their choir room that he taught the little kids how to play drums or walk with them. But anyway, he had a good reputation and he and the Lord had a great relationship. That's what gives me comfort. I will see him again. So that, that, that's powerful. Uh, and I tell you, I am, I am just emotional here uh, having this conversation. Um, that's not like me. Um, when you think about kind of where you were and where you are now, are you at peace now? Oh, I'm not talking about the moments that still flare up, but I'm talking about as a whole. Do you think that you have made it to a place of peace? I can say um, I have made it to a place of gratitude that my son knew who Christ was. I can give God all the glory for allowing us to have him 23 years and the reputation that he had with the Lord. And uh, peace, I don't think I could use that word peace because of the fact that I still hurt. And uh, I would use the word accepting more than I would say peace because peace, it wouldn't trouble my spirit. Um, even though I heard what you said about the moments of he's not here, um, I have to say that acceptance says, yes, it was God's will. Yes, I won't hear his voice until we all have transcended. And um, I can't tell you peace. I love my child, the firstborn. And uh, even if I'm not thinking about it, his birthday, I'm still unsettled. And that's 14 years ago. Uh, it's just like I was about to give birth. I can have all of those tightening of my stomach, the whole process of giving birth. I will feel that like it's time for me to give birth. And whether I'm thinking about it or not, my internal soul knows that he's no longer on this earth. And for February, it's like a internal clock that I now know that the way I feel, the emotional ups and downs 
where it's coming from. And um, that's when I have to get in, in a room by myself, pray and talk to God. And once I talk to him and he talks to me, that's what gives me comfort, comfort. And uh, just like you, uh, we're, we're here talking about this now and it's only a few days and it'll be the anniversary of his death. Um, things like that happen where I'm ministering to others, encouraging them and say, you can make it. You can make it. The reason why I know you can make it because you're still here. Mm -hmm. God doesn't make a mistake. So he needs us to be those voices of encouragement to say, yes, God allowed him or her to be taken from the earth. And they're at peace and at rest, waiting for God to crack the sky. So um, comforting, yes. Peace, I don't know if that's something that I'll ever have with that. I, I can't tell you that. Okay, and I, I'm, I, I certainly think that that's fair. Um, you know, one of the things that um, came uh, that uh, people to uh, would say to me is like, okay, it's time for you to move on, to get over it, uh, to not have these these moments. Uh, it, uh, it's crazy that you can't look at the picture. It's crazy that you haven't been able to go back to uh, uh, the grave site. And, and, you know, those kinds of things. Uh, and I guess I just want to say kind of to anybody who's listening, you don't tell, you don't let anybody tell you how to right. grieve. Exactly. Because everybody grieves very, very differently. Um, uh, another question that I just got was, um, it says, let me read it. Was there any pressure on like Sharon to be the perfect daughter uh, since she was a part of uh, a two-child house that kind of went to a one child house was there did you did you maybe even apply pressure or did she assume pressure maybe and i'm not asking you to speak for her but i'm just trying to maybe understand how families kind of navigate that process hmm. um i didn't think about her being would also be something maybe from your perspective. Did you mother him? Did you try to control her more <laughs> to protect her? Uh, you know, those kinds of things. Exactly. I became very protective. Um, it was like, I didn't want her to go far away to go to college. And I was so grateful she had decided to go to prayer review. And which gave me a lot of comfort um, instead of her going to, I've forgotten the name of the school that was in P Pennsylvania somewhere. And I said, oh my God, I can't have you leave the state. So I didn't want to be too clingy, but I didn't want her to just go away and I wouldn't be able to see her. 
Sure. I was afraid. Uh, anytime she wanted to come home, I wanted her to stay off the road. Why do you have to leave so late? Get up, go so you won't be out at dark. Just that type of pressure is what I put on her. And I even have to watch myself now to say, wait a minute. Um, you have a life. You can live your life as you see fit, you and God. And um, it's hard because I always say that's the last pee in the dish. You know, I don't want anything to happen to her. I feel like um, I know I've done a lot of things out of her just doting everything on her. You know, whatever she wants to do, however she wants to do it, I'm all in. Put, you know, just put me in. Never thinking about is this a good idea? Giving her an opportunity to process it herself and choose it for herself. It's sort of hard not to want to manipulate that. Sure. Yeah, it's it's hard. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not over that yet. I can't even tell you that I'm over it. I have to just watch myself to say, "Don't do that to that woman. She's grown. What are you doing?" You know. And I'm like, "No, don't go there. What are you doing?" <laughs> Panicking. <Ooh>. Yeah. <laughs> so when um so when these um when the anniversary does come, or when his birthday the uh, comes, is that I know you, you you said there's kind of this thing where you need to get and be by yourself, but do y'all avoid that day? You know, um, we hadn't talked about it as a whole. Uh, COVID really helped us because it came to a point where we had to discuss it. What's going on with you? Why are you snapping? Uh, it's Brunel always made my birthday special. You know, he'd come in with the last thing he got me was this big, huge elephant rug. And he put elephants, little elephants, until the biggest one up the stairs, all the way up our stairs and going into our my bedroom. And he would do things like that. Just kind and, of over the top things. Anything crazy and over the top, that's what he would do. So um, I noticed that when my birthday rolls around, or Mother's Day rolls around, those were in Christmas. Those were his special days that he wanted to do something. You could expect anything from him. He was going to do something extravagant. And so uh, Sharon uh, told me one day, Mom, I'm not Brunel. Mm. I'm, I'm not going to do what he do, does or what he did. Uh, Mom, uh, it's Christmas time. I'm still here because I, I didn't even realize. I Well, yeah, I did. I just, just didn't want to celebrate Christmas. I wouldn't put up any decorations like we. that was our time. The three of us, we would just do something lavish in the house. It was, you know, Christmassy. And she was accustomed to that. So, and I had stopped. You had stopped. Just, I wasn't celebrating until she told me, mom, I'm still here. Wow. And I looked and said, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm not even grateful for the child that you left me with. What's wrong? Wow. So I, that was very revealing and a time that, um, to let me know 
look, I'm still here. You still have to do those things that matters to the family. So yes, our family has really gone through a lot of struggles together, silent struggles, as well as verbal struggles. And uh, thank God for counseling. Uh, we now can talk about Brunel and laugh. He had this goofy laugh. <laughs> he was just crazy laugh. And we would always go, what kind of laugh is that? What? <laughs> and uh, so we, we were laughing about that just a few days ago of how he would love to laugh, but it was this goofball laugh that he had. So yeah, I hope that was helpful to you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think one of the things that um, people who experience loss, um, I think, has outside of that acceptance kind of factor um, is knowing how to to still live. And when you talked about how Jerry and kind of said, I'm still here, you know, it, it made me think about how not talking about my grandmother or, and you not talking about Burnell, you know, maybe that was comforting for you, but like I have uh, kids uh, and they want to talk about nanny. They want to laugh about nanny, all of the stuff, because one of the things, um, before she um, before she died, um, she um, uh, started having dementia, right, and and which uh, escalated to Alzheimer's, and so she would do some of the weirdest things. Uh, uh, but it, and 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 those things, I remember um, one time I was sitting out on the porch with her, and um, her daughter. Uh, her oldest daughter, my aunt, drove up uh, and she was like, we're going to get in trouble. Mama's pulling in and I'm not supposed to be on the porch. I'm like, you the mama. <laughs> right? You ain't the mama, you the mama. <laughs> and so it, was, it, it, was, it was just so, and so it's those kinds of things that uh, I, I remember uh, me and my wife and family, we walked in one time and and she said whoa there comes the big people i'm like oh my lord <laughs> like that like people really you go and so it's those kind of things that you know bring joy but for me initially to open up and talk about those things and and laugh and interact about those things i was just like ah you know, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah, you know, I don't want to. But uh, and I, I guess my whole point in, in saying is that is that we do have to move on. And, and, and this is something that I'm telling uh, people. It's not uh, that I'm telling everybody who's listening. It's not about forgetting. It's not about it. Uh, uh, it, it is a, it's about living. It's about moving on and learning. And I'm still learning. And I'll be honest, yeah. I'm still learning how to make uh, so that when you said the peace thing, I was thinking while you were talking about it, I was wondering, am I at peace? And 
I don't know. And I guess I've never thought about it. And particularly why, Susan, is because I've been, I've become a master at avoidance. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I don't think that that's necessarily healthy. One thing I have not done uh, is talk to somebody about it, mm-hmm. other than my wife, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when my grandfather died, um, I didn't grieve for years, uh, years, because I felt like I needed to be strong. I needed to be the person. And Tony and I had been married maybe a year, year and a half. And one day at two o'clock in the morning, out of the blue, I burst into tears and I cried uncontrollably for four or five hours. And I didn't understand why initially. Um, And you have to have, you have to lean on people, I guess is the point I was uh, initially getting to. And other people's memories help heal you as well. You know, other people's memories help heal you as well. Uh, But she's moving on is not forgetting who they are or the impact they've made in your life. And, And that's true. You don't have to feel like that that moving on means that you've forgotten them. It's it, it's it's about remembering. So, um, in kind of in that vein, in order of the, in 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 that vein, I guess. What is what are some of the the craziest, funniest memories that you have <laughs> about yourself? <laughs> Um, we had an RV that McQueen was, um, he was determined that we would travel and we would take, huh? I said, he said, I got (laughs) you. We would travel, you know, McQueen wanted to make sure that his children were exposed and have good times. So, um, we had this RV that Brunel just, he wanted to make sure that he would take the awning out and that he would screw everything down. And um, and one day, all of a sudden, he had grown up too tall to be in the RV that we had. So he would always bump his head against this coffee pot that was right over the bed that it was a table first, well, a breakfast table, and then you could turn it into a bed. So he would be lying there and have to get up, and he would always hit his head on this coffee pot. And until one day he hit his head so hard, he had this big knot on his head. And wow. he looked at everybody. He said, well, I guess I won't ever forget that this coffee pot is here. It's not moving. <laughs> so I laughed. And I, we look at his head and got this big knot on his head, poor dear. Um, that's one of the um, fun memories that we have of him and how he would just, whatever disaster that we thought was there, he would make a joke out of it. Um, me falling. Uh, we were going to see the geyser, uh, Old Faithful. And I said, y'all, it's about to blow, it's about to blow. And the, this, there was this big tree trunk that I just totally just ran over the, well, I tripped over the tree trunk. 
And I really thought I had hurt myself really bad. And Brunel was just cracking up, cracking up. And he said, mom, you okay? Even if you broke your arm and he's picking up the arm going, you all right, you all right. <laughs> Those types of things that I would remember, he would just, if it was something bad, he made something good out of it. And he would laugh about it. Just, just life period around him was different. He didn't have those moments of uh, despair or total pity for himself. He was not that type of a young man. And um, he learned to laugh through adversities. So if it's anything that we now talk about, it's like Brunel would make a joke out of that. He'd go, oh, it's all right. Just laugh at it. It'll go away. It's not as bad as you think. And now that I think about it, He's right. It's not that bad. Life will go on. And what we always need to remember are the good times. Sure. Even those difficult times, there were lessons made in those difficult times. So I guess laughing on our, on our road trips, as I would call it, another road trip, another day, something is going to happen that my son is going to make a joke out of it. Earlier you said, and, and, and we're about to uh, wrap up, but earlier you said something that I thought was uh, really interesting. You said that you, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't remember exactly how you said it, but you said that you have become kind of mean towards people and this, that, and the other. Was it hard for people to forgive you for how you treated them during the moments of your deepest grief? Or did you find that people were understanding? N no, because we didn't tell people we were grieving. You know, as the passion pastor's family. Okay. Uh, it, it was like, we were expected to move on. The next Sunday, you expected to be at church. You expected for, you know, everything is normal. We never ask, or I can say for me, I never ask them, our church members, to say, I need something from you. And unless you tell people what you're going through, how are they to know? And um, out of all the things that I, I can think about now, um, hurting people hurt people. Some of the things that I've done that I've, I've apologized for my actions uh, or the lack of an action, um, not recognizing that they were grieving too because he grew up in the church. Sure. You know, uh, some of the members would tell me about the great times that they've had with him to say, look, you know, Brunel was this to my young daughter and she, he made her feel real good. She was too little to be in the drill team. But he told her, you could carry the flag. You could carry the flag in front of us. And you're just as pretty. You're going to be all right. That young lady is a woman now. And she could tell me about how she felt when Brunel was killed. We just are so selfish at that moment. With that was my, 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 instead of saying he belonged to us all. 
He touched many lives. They miss him too. And he did great things in our church. So I must say to, to our church members, uh, two sun well, it was the second Sunday in December, was the first time that I was able to give my testimony of feeling the sword that enters into your soul when a child precedes you in death. And I was able to talk about it, recognizing that we have nine women in our church that their children have preceded them. Wow. And they hurt too. And so I can look at it differently after 14 years to say, all of the people that came through our church, Brunel touched their lives as well. And I know this because they showed up for the funeral. I got plenty of phone calls and cards, no matter where they had gone off to or new ministries or whatever they were into. I got many phone calls and several people came home and they lived in different areas, Houston or wherever they came from. And they wanted to be there to celebrate a life well lived. So now that um, I can look back and say, I'm not alone in my grief story. They too lost. And uh, we assume a lot of things instead of asking. Sure. So I would say yes. Uh, to look at those persons who I've hurt, and if someone I've hurt and I didn't even know that I hurt them, I've asked, "Forgive me, literally, please forgive me." Uh, we've always heard hurting people hurt people. That's true, and we don't know how we're hurting them. But God holds us accountable for our actions. So once we grow, grow closer to God, he's been able to reveal to me a new life, uh, another way of living on this side, realizing that we have our eternal life, that we will live forever. So, Well, Susan, I want to thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for sharing your story um, because I know there were folks that needed to hear, needed to know that they in their grief are not alone. Uh, and the words that you've shared have been healing for a lot of us, just knowing that there is this process that we do have to go through it, but there is hope on the other side. And you are, as I said in your intro, are a vibrant one who, by the way, can absolutely cook. You understand? <laughs> I mean, 
She them beef tips and gravy. Somebody, oh, bless his name. <laughs> anyway, but I, don't tell Paul. <laughs> uh, though, just sharing has helped a lot of folks, and I want to thank you for doing that because you didn't have to be as vulnerable as you were, uh, as you were, and shared uh, at the level you did. So I really appreciate appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, for coming and being my guest tonight. Next week, guys, um, we're going to uh, continue our surviving, and we're going to be talking about surviving violence, physical violence, sexual violence. Uh, join us next week uh, for another great conversation. I'll see you guys later. God bless you. I love you. Love you, Susan. Y'all take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bless. Bye.